0: This is a podcast by The Business Times.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the BT Mark-to-Market podcast. My name is Ben Paul, and I'm a senior correspondent at The Business Times. This is a very special episode of this podcast series because it is the first time that I have a guest with me. His name is Shinbo Won, and he is the Asia Head of BlackRock Investment Stewardship covering Southeast Asia, Greater China, and Korea. BlackRock is the largest fund manager in the world, and BlackRock Investment Stewardship is a unit within the group that is focused on promoting sound corporate governance and business practices. In this podcast, Shinbo and I are going to discuss the growing importance of ESG factors, or environmental, social, and governance factors, to institutional investors. More importantly, we're going to talk about how BlackRock uses its influence as a very long-term shareholder to shape the thinking and actions of corporate boards around the world. Then, later in this podcast, we'll also get into some of the big governance issues that afflict boards in Singapore and in Asia. Shinbo, thank you for talking to me today. Thank you for having me today, Ben. ESG investing seems to be one of the biggest themes in the market right now, and it's often couched as something that investors should support because it supposedly translates to higher returns. Is generating superior returns what you're ultimately trying to achieve?
0: Well, there is indeed a strong and growing conviction among investors that investing in companies that perform well on the ESG front is not just doing quote-unquote good, it simply makes financial sense. We have seen that companies that manage their ESG issues well have indeed performed well even during the COVID-19 challenges since last year. And funds that focused on these companies have also been outperforming. And a couple of points for context. So BlackRock is a fiduciary asset manager. The assets that we manage are our clients and not our own. And second, being primarily an index investor, we have a very long-term investment horizon. So we have an obligation to ensure that our clients' assets that are entrusted to us create value or generate return. But the key word here is that it's over the long term. And we have also made a public commitment to put sustainability at the heart of how we invest, as how companies are managing their broader ESG-related risks that is financially material to their unique business models. And we believe this is highly correlated to their financial performance over time.
1: So the bulk of your assets are in index funds, and so you're a perpetual holder of these securities, and so you're a very long-term investor. As I understand it, the BlackRock investment stewardship team engages with the boards and management of public listed companies around the world to make its views clear. And when your powers of persuasion do not achieve the desired results, you use your voting power at shareholder meetings, often voting against the re-election of specific directors. According to your first quarter report for 2021 that came out recently, it seems that your teams have been very busy. You've had 992 engagements with 841 companies across 49 markets. You voted at 2,633 shareholder meetings on 21,413 proposals. And more interestingly, you voted against the appointment of directors 1,196 times. And that was just in the first quarter. Would it be correct to say that you only approach companies when you are concerned about something? And how do companies typically respond when you engage them?
0: Well, an important component of our sustainability commitments is our promise to become more active in our stewardship efforts, which means uh, engaging with companies and using our vote to promote better board governance, including their oversight on sustainability issues. I think the stats that you mentioned attest to how we have been keeping to our promise. And on your last point, though, I'm happy to confirm that it's definitely not the case. My job would be pretty depressing if engagements were only triggered by concerns we have on companies. The team is not meant to be an ESG or corporate governance police by any means. But we do engage because we need to better understand how companies are managing various issues that we see are material to long-term value, and ESG issues are definitely central to that. But most importantly, this is what our clients expect us to do as stewards of their assets. And we are also expected to use our voice, oftentimes through votes, to ensure that companies are meeting our expectations on this very important topic.
1: There were two case studies in your first quarter report that might interest investors here in Singapore. One of the case studies was about Topglove, a Malaysian glove maker that's listed in Kuala Lumpur as well as here in Singapore. The company has been in the news for several months because of allegations that it has used forced labor, and because of concerns about the oversight of worker health and safety in the wake of the COVID-19 outbreak. In this case, BlackRock voted against the re-election of six independent non-executive directors, as well as a separate proposal for a senior independent director to continue in office. The other case study was about a palm oil company with a subsidiary in Africa that was found to have cleared land without properly engaging and compensating the local community. And those complaints date back to 2012, so it was a long drawn-out matter. The report says the company has restarted its remediation efforts and you're continuing to engage them, but this company was not named. But the details of the case suggest to me that the company in question was Golden Agri Resources. Would I be correct about that?
0: Well, we prefer having private and constructive dialogue with companies and it is our policy to keep the name of companies we engage with with confidential. But in some occasions, we do go public with the name of the companies we engage and take voting actions at through our vote bulletins. And I believe that's what you have read on our webpage. And this allows us to explain our approach and reason behind why we have cast our votes in a given way. Topglove was a case where we saw the concerns to be significant enough for us to do this. And, you know, the story behind that is, as the largest rubber glove and PPE manufacturer in the world, they were at the forefront of this global battle against COVID-19. They rely very heavily on migrant workers in their production facilities, and it turned out over half of them tested positive for covid And the government also discovered breaches against local housing regulations for these workers, which resulted in the company having the single largest COVID cluster in Malaysia at one point. So given the role that the company plays in this crisis and how important the migrant workers are to their business, we felt there was a serious lapse of oversight on the board in ensuring their safety, which is a core component to their business success. So we were compelled to use our vote to voice our concerns on this issue. And the positive note from the story is that the company has taken quick action after the AGM to address many of the concerns that we raised. They were quite proactive about it. They actually worked very closely with one of their most vocal critics, a labor rights activist, to ensure that the facilities and their practices are now in line with global standards. So it was a positive outcome for everybody involved.
1: How do you decide when you go from just engagement to actually voting against the reappointment of directors?
0: Uh, That's a great question. We are quite transparent with our voting policies. We have a global, regional, and market-specific voting guideline that's on our webpage. So when and why we vote against directors should not be a big surprise to companies who are familiar with our guidelines. But this question is not that simple to answer, given that engagements could lead to very different results or insights. But generally, if we see a concern with a company on issues that we find material, including ESG-related issues, and we see that the board is not providing the necessary oversight or not taking any meaningful action or simply not looking at the issues with the same urgency as we do, we would take voting action to signal our concern. Once
1: you decide to vote against a director, would you vote against the same director at a separate company?
0: Well, this would depend on why we have voted against that particular director. But for particularly egregious cases, yes.
1: Okay. And what do errant directors need to do in order to redeem themselves, as far as you're concerned?
0: I think Top Glove would be a good example. If it was a lack of oversight as a board director that put us in the position to vote against them, we would like to see them own up to their responsibilities and take meaningful measures to address their concerns, which I believe they have.
1: Now, BlackRock was not alone in rebuking the directors of Glove. At least one other institutional investor, Norge's Bank Investment Management, voted against the same set of resolutions as BlackRock. Yet most of those resolutions passed with more than 84% support. Is minority investor power really much of a force, especially in Asia, where major shareholders often have overwhelming control of their companies?
0: Well, you're right. It's inherently more difficult in Asia for a minority shareholder's vote to have impact because of the prevalence of controlled companies in this region. But we still believe voicing our concern or disagreement with votes And if required, putting out public commentaries on why we voted a certain way still matter for a couple of reasons. So one, when our team looks at any AGM to vote at, one of the first things we do is look at the record of last year's AGM. And if we see that any resolution has a lower percentage of support, we would definitely take a closer look. So our vote, no matter how small our stake may be, serves this purpose of informing other shareholders of the company. And second, directors of publicly listed companies in any market are highly accomplished and very well-respected individuals who are keenly interested in how much shareholder support they receive. And there are several cases where after the AGM, the management or sometimes that director himself or herself reached out to us directly, wanting to better understand why we did not support uh, his or her re-election. So it may not be the friendliest of ways to start a dialogue, but it is that dialogue that matters most to narrow any gaps in understanding or sharing expectations and moving practices forward.
1: Shinbo, returning to the topic of ESG factors, I found it interesting that your engagements on environmental themes in the first quarter were up 52% year-on-year, while engagements on social and governance themes were up only 10% and 11% respectively. Yet when it came to voting against directors, the reasons seemed to be very much about governance matters rather than environmental or social issues. You mostly voted against directors because of a lack of independence or poor general disclosures and executive compensation misalignment, very much the traditional reasons for which shareholders would want to give directors the boot. Why is there so much engagement about environmental issues, but so little disagreement? Is the environment just a less divisive issue?
0: That's a great observation, but perhaps the numbers could be slightly misleading. Embedding climate change into a company strategy and the journey towards reporting that's aligned to TCFD or SASB, this takes time. And we have been putting a lot of resources to engage with companies on this front. And the first quarter, before AGM season usually starts in most markets, this is the time we really double down on our efforts. So the skew towards engagements versus vote outcomes on environmental issues is not an indication that things are perfectly fine. And as we have increased our engagements on that topic throughout last year and also through the first quarter of this year, naturally our expectations will be higher during this year's voting season. The results from this year's AGM, which generally runs through the second and third quarter, will reflect more of our voting actions on climate and E-issues in general.
1: Finally, if I can just bring the focus to the Singapore market, you know, one of the big themes here has been the wave of low-ball privatization offers by major shareholders. And the reason it's happening is because more than half of the stocks in the local market are trading below their book value would you regard this to be an issue for the BlackRock Investment Stewardship Group to look into? I mean, one could argue that minority investors are being ripped off in these deals because, you know, not enough is being done by corporate boards to unlock value while the companies are in the hands of public investors.
0: Yes. Opportunistic transactions, going private, mergers, asset sales. These are common themes we have seen across the region, not just in Singapore. And most have genuine business motives and are generally priced fairly, but we do see cases where the deal is structured in a way that seriously disadvantages the minority shareholders, and particularly when the transaction is between related parties. This issue becomes a lot more challenging due to a couple of factors. So first, again, prevalence of controlling shareholders in this corner of the world, more incentive to and much easier to benefit at the expense of minority shareholders. And second, while more developed markets in Asia like Hong Kong and Singapore have relatively stringent RPT or or related party transaction rules to safeguard against this type of risk, there are different sets of rules that apply to secondary listings in these markets that pave the way for some of these transactions to occur with relative ease. So it's not an easy problem to solve and requires close monitoring of not just investors, but the media, and regulators alike. And this really highlights the reason why we focus so much on the quality, the independence, and competence of the board. This, at the heart, is a corporate governance issue, and transparency is key. Too often, we see a very can-text type of explanation of why the board is proposing the deal, with a way too simplistic justification that independent advisors deem the price to be fair. And what minority investors would like to see in this situation is a strong strategic rationale, some evidence that the board had evaluated other alternatives, and proof that the valuation exercise and the negotiation was actually carried out to secure the best possible deal for all shareholders. And when there are concerns or questions raised, and we have seen a lot of them recently, I think shareholders are entitled to an answer from the board, particularly the independent directors who theoretically have reviewed the deal came to the conclusion that it is in the interest of all shareholders, and put it to shareholders for vote. I think in these situations, credibility and trust that's built through regular engagements with investors would certainly come in handy. Again, a reason we focus so much on engaging with the board through our stewardship activities to build that type of relationship and insight.
1: Well, Shinbo, I can't agree with you more on the points that you've made. And so this is probably a good note on which to end this podcast. Thank you very much for joining me today. Well, I appreciate being here today. Thank you so much, Ben. That's it for this episode of the Mark to Market podcast. You can write to us your feedback on our points covered in this episode at podcasts at sbh.com.sg, or you can email me directly at benpaul at sbh.com.sg. You can follow my Mark-to-Market podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts.
0: That was an SBH podcast by The Business Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at the Straits Times, the Business Times, and Money FM 89.3. Any financial or investment information in this podcast is for use in Singapore only and is intended to be for your general information. Any particular investment or decision should only be made after consulting with a fully qualified financial advisor.